Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. I read a story in a book once about a man who came home to his house burned down. After looking at it and walking through the carnage, he said, praise God. Now those around him widened their eyes in disbelief. He continued, praise God that no one got hurt. Praise God that this didn't happen during the middle of the night. And he continued praising God for all of the blessings he could find amidst this tragedy. If two houses burned down next to each other on your street, the two homeowners could have completely different responses, not because one of them lost their home under different circumstances than the other, but because they might share different perspectives. In the Christian life, we live in the same difficult, sin-ridden world as the rest of your neighbors, co-workers, and family, but we are called to hold a unique perspective. We are called to worship God and God alone and hold him higher than any other person or possession in our lives. We are to regard his will far above our own will, willing to forego our definition of comfort for his definition of holiness and righteousness. And as we'll see from our passages today, God's ways are higher than our ways. And although it may not always be comfortable, there's nothing better than living obediently in the center of God's will. That should give all of us who are children of God a different perspective, regardless of our circumstances. Let's start in the gospel portion of our reading today in Matthew 26, 57 through 68. Here we read about the first part of Jesus's trial, if you can call it that. He is brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, and this whole council or the Sanhedrin had one intention, and that's to kill Jesus. Now, this council was made up of all Jewish leaders, and although the Romans would be in charge of all judicial proceedings, they did let their people try their own cases from time to time. It says that this council even tried to find false witnesses so that they could speed everything up and execute him as soon as possible. And finally, they found two that said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, which was taken out of context with what Jesus said. But the high priest responds with, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Now, Caiaphas probably wants Jesus to respond in some way so that he can be tried for treason by the Romans, but Jesus remains silent, it says in verse 63, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, which says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him in verse 64, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus claims to be the Messiah here. And Jesus claims to be the son of man, which might have immediately made the high priest think of Daniel 7, 13 through 14, which says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That would make sense that he tore his robe, which, by the way, was prohibited by the high priest, uh, referring to Leviticus 10.6, 
Uh, this That was understandable because Jesus is claiming to be the fulfillment of all prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. And this response would be justified if Jesus wasn't the Messiah. This is a big claim. But as we know, and as we just celebrated this past weekend, he is the Messiah, the Son of Man, fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And Jesus would have deserved death according to Jewish law if he indeed was claiming to be the Son of Man falsely. Now, our passage closes in verses 67 and 68 with this. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And I just want to take a moment to worship our Lord Jesus. He knew that he was God. He knew that he was about to do for what he was about to do for men on the cross. And he knew with a word he could destroy all of these men were striking him and spinning him, spinning on him and ridiculing him, but he didn't say anything. He was committed to the Father's will. He was committed to fulfilling prophecy. He was committed to saving you and me. And I hope today you and I can take this in and truly worship Jesus Christ for who he was, who he is, and who he will always be, especially in light of this past weekend. Perhaps we can meditate on a verse like this and truly appreciate the love that Christ had for us in this moment. And perhaps this can drive us to be more long-suffering when we're mistreated. God has told us, don't repay evil for evil Evil in 1 Peter 3.9. God has told us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in Matthew 5, 44. And God has told us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me in Luke 9, 23. And none of those commands change regardless of how we are being treated. And praise God that Jesus's dedication to the Father's will didn't change regardless of how he was being treated. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be children of God, redeemed and reconciled with our sins bought and paid for in full. Thank the Lord that his perspective was one of holiness and righteousness and obeying the Father's will and not based on the circumstances that he found himself in. Now moving to our New Testament reading in Romans 4, 1 through 12. Through this passage, Paul makes it clear in several ways that Abraham was saved by faith not works. You see, Paul, who is writing this after Christ, is using Abraham to help make the point that all men, regardless of when they existed, were saved by faith. Those who were saved preceding Christ weren't saved by works, and then all of those after Christ were saved by faith. No, everyone is saved by faith, lest they have something to boast about, Paul says, and no man has any room to boast, because even our salvation should serve as a means to, to God's glory, not our own. Now, in verse 3, Paul refers to Genesis 15, 6. And leading up to verse 6, God is speaking to Abraham and making a promise to him, saying, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He put his trust in God and not himself. We see the fruit of that saving faith in Genesis 22, when Abraham willingly take, takes Isaac to the altar, knowing that God will either raise Isaac from the dead or provide another way. But the important thing is that Abraham believed God's promises, and he walked forward in light of that faith. And Paul goes on to explain that the right standing with God isn't based on performance. A right standing in righteousness comes from believing, and Paul throws in David as another example of this in our passage. Now he shifts gears to use circumcision as part of his argument. You see, when Abraham was saved by faith uh, back in Genesis 15, 
Uh, He was not circumcised at that point. He wasn't circumcised until later in Genesis 15. Circumcision is a sign or a seal, Paul says. Um, This coming Sunday at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, uh, we'll see various people getting baptized. Does that water baptism save them? No, but it is an act of obedience to Christ and it is an outward sign of an inward change. It is a sign or a seal in some regard. Perhaps this passage is refreshing to you, a good reminder that we can do nothing to earn the favor of the Lord. We can't be saved by works, but only by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now, should the redeemed Christian produce fruit in the form of works? Of course, but as evidence of a redeemed heart, just like Abraham was justified or vindicated, as James would say, by what he did in Genesis 22, we too show the validity of our faith by our works. Maybe this reminder today is helpful when sharing the gospel this week. Some people may be convinced that they need to clean up their act before coming to Christ. And that's simply not so. They must repent and believe. They must turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. And this turning, it's an act of their desire, what they seek after. So standing in a parking lot in an instant, anyone can be saved anywhere. The more that we recount the life and death of Jesus and the more that we unpack the mechanics and reality of justification by faith, the more that we can have reason to praise God that he has accomplished the work that we never could. And may we praise Jesus once again that he paid it all. It's only because of his completed work on the cross that we can stand before our Holy Father justified. Now let's move to our Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapters 23 through 25. And speaking of God's holiness, we're reminded of just how important it was for the Israelites to remember this in all aspects of their lives. As we read our Old Testament passage starting in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Needless to say, there are some interesting details listed off throughout these passages, but I want to do a flyover of these passages to focus on a few things that we can clearly learn and apply. First in chapter 23, after listing off people who should be excluded from the assembly and a few things that made them unclean, we read starting in verse 14, because the Lord, your God, walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. We, like the Israelites, must have a reverence for God. We can't take lightly the things of God and the things that he says are important and holy. Do we not sin because it's a rule or do we not sin because God is holy and it's offense to who he is? There's certainly a difference, even if subtle and underneath the surface, there's a difference in the motivations of our heart. And then from here, all the way through chapter 25, we read about the various laws. Now these passages cover everything from divorce to marriage, to stealing, to leprous disease, to loans, to hiring workers, to reaping a harvest, to disputes, to beating the guilty, to death and remarriage, and to fair weights and measures or honesty. And that's not the exhaustive list of what's covered, but that's kind of the gambit of what we fly over through these passages. And although you might read all these seemingly random laws and just move on, I would challenge all of us to look beneath the surface a bit, digging digging in to reveal who God is and what he's asking of the Israelites and what he's still asking of us today. If you look at the common themes presented in all of these laws, you will see that they include God's design and how it's always better than our own. God's desires for us to rely on him for everything, God's justice and how it's perfect, how God is holy and requires holiness, and how sinning against God and his people will not go unpunished. And although God doesn't give us 
detailed directions on how to do everything in life in the New Testament for us who are in Christ. It's passages like this that make me so thankful that he does give us direction in the most important things. And I'm so grateful that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us in wisdom. And God tells us that we can have as much wisdom as we ask for in James. And although at times we think we want to be completely in control, praise God that we are not. We serve a God who is perfectly in charge and in control. He is sovereign. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know from Romans 8, 28. Can you imagine being charge, in charge of deciding every single law? Can you imagine trying to medita- mediate disputes and administer justice perfectly? Perhaps today we can grow our view of God. Perhaps we can grow in our desire to see him as our authority in all things. Yes, there will be times that God asks us to do things we don't want to do. But as we grow in our view of God, maybe we can admit with more frequency that he knows far better than we do on how to lead his creation. Job 38, 4-7 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? That passage is always such a great calibration for me as it was for Job. Even though we worship God for saving us through Jesus Christ, even though he sought us out and loved us first, saving us while we were still sinners and sitting against him and enemies of his, it's still not about us. It's all about God and his glory. That should be our perspective always, regardless of our circumstances. And that's what God is really asking the Israelites to consider in these passages. Now let's move to our Psalms reading for today. Psalm 42, 6 through 11. This passage reiterates the truth that our perspective is much more important than our circumstances. The psalmist leading up to the last verse of this psalm lists off some concerns. When he says, why have you forgotten me? He's probably referring to the fact that he is far from home and the safety of the sanctuary. And maybe this is making him feel far from God. Just like Pastor Ben said, he's away from maybe his church body is the way we would explain it. But as we'll see, this is just a feeling. His circumstances aren't comfortable, but what is his perspective? Well, then this, the Psalm crescendos to verse 11, where it ends. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As Pastor Ben said yesterday, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to speak to ourselves the truth of scripture. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Just as Abraham believed God's promises are true, we can take them to the bank ourselves. And that should give us hope. Perhaps your circumstances Stances are difficult. And and if they aren't now, just wait. They will be at some point. We know this from scripture and we know this anecdotally as we watch our own life and the lives of other Christians in our life. But God teaches us to look to him and to recall his promises. We have eternal life and no one can snatch us from his hand, he says in John 10. He is going to prepare a place for us, he says in John 14. He is working through all of our trials to grow us in the ability to handle more weight in the future, he says in James 1. He is working all things together for our good, he tells us in Romans 8. And the list goes on and on. We need to believe the promises of God to help us sit in the circumstances we find ourselves in and change our perspective. Why can we ultimately shift our perspective regardless of our circumstances? Because our circumstances today, regardless of how difficult they may be, are temporary. 
we can find great comfort in the fact that someday, when we go to be with our Lord forever, our circumstances will change forever, and they will be perfect circumstances for all of eternity. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today in Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.